You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Oh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson live at the Cardinal Sports Center studio as part of the Republic of Football podcast feed. Cardinal Sports Center is so loaded right now. You got the uh, sideline provision stuff in there. You got the Gambling Gauchos merch. You've got all kinds of things for the final home game of the year. You can also gear up for basketball season right there at Cardinal Sports Center. Basketball starts this week, Tuesday for the Lady Raiders, Wednesday for the Red Raiders. Big time happenings there at Cardinal Sports Center, right outside the loop on Slide Road or online. MyCardinalSports.com. How you doing? I'm good. And right when you walk in at Cardinals, there's actually a World Series champions Texas Rangers display. So they truly do have it all. You know, I woke up today, Kyle. Yeah. World Series champion. Ew. Somebody said they missed the cowboy hat, so we'll go silver belly today. It's the one right behind me. That's a tall hat, man. You look like uh, Doug Dimmadome. <laughs> Owner of uh, the Dimmadome? Yeah. That's him, I think, Doug Dimmadome. Not a big Fairly Odd Parents guy. It's been a while. Yeah. You were, you were a couple years younger than me in the uh, the wheelhouse era of the, uh, the Fairly Odd Parents. I was right before it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it came out when I was like prime viewing age for that. I mean, I watched it, but it was it was just a little bit after my time. Did you like watching I, I feel like I always came across this, especially late at night or in the summer, you know, when I was stuck at home doing nothing. Like all the sitcoms from the nineties were on. And so like Family Matters, Full House. Did you watch any of those reruns, you know, 10, 15 years later? Oh yeah. Cosby show. Family yeah. matters, all of that. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, same here. Anyways, uh, Texas Tech football won this week, BTCU on a Thursday night. It's been a couple days, but we'll talk about it. Um, good game. Needed it. Needed needed the win. That that was a big one. That was a must win, in my opinion. Um, just for the sake of the season. You now have a couple of things alive here, like beating all the Texas teams and, and you know, Baylor and TCU and Tarleton. Uh, you can still beat Texas. So beating the Texas teams on your schedule, winning another home Big 12 game was big. Uh, and just keeping, keeping, the, keeping the hope alive for bowl eligibility. I don't know if you'll get there, but just to, you know, expand that into the end of the season, I think was really, really good for Texas Tech. Yeah, I agree. We talked about some of that on the preview, just sort of the in-state dynamics at play when you're trying to re- when you're trying to recruit against programs like TCU. It certainly helps to beat them heads up. And uh, yeah, I mean, 
it, it sounds weird to say, but the difference between three and six and four and five, like you look at where Baylor is at after that overtime loss to Houston. And, you know, I guess Baylor hasn't played TCU yet, but they lost to Tech. They lost to Houston. They can't win a home game. And it's like the sky is falling. Um, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. Like I think they're in a pretty bad spot as a program. Tech, meanwhile, able to salvage, like you're saying, some of those in-state rivalry games, uh, hanging on to bowl eligibility prospects. And uh, you'd lost to TCU four years in a row. Bad. And, uh, it's not fun to lose to any opponent that you play um, every year until the Big 12 schedule make- matrix screws that up, which we can get into that later. But, but yeah, like you needed to – some good TCU teams beat you like last year, some bad TCU teams beat you like when they weren't even going to a bowl game. And so that's just frustrating to, for a, for an in-state opponent to have your number like that. And, uh, you know, I say what you want about kind of secondary rivalries and yeah, TCU isn't Texas or A&M, but the fact of the matter is the winner does get a saddle that stays on campus for the next year and gives you some bragging rights with coworkers and neighbors and people like that. And so it, to me, it means a little something extra versus beating a Kansas or West Virginia or somebody like that. Before we get too deep into the game, I do want to do this real quick. I know we do it on uh, Gauchos After Dark, but that was back on uh, Saturday night. Um, any broad thoughts from the week of the Big 12? Um, Bedlam for the final time ever. Texas, Kansas State, that kind of just dumb finish that uh, Kansas State had. Any Any broad thoughts, even for Kansas beating Iowa State? Broad thoughts, mostly just really impressed by Oklahoma State. You know, they've got the hard part of their schedule out of the way, and they're very much in the driver's seat. They can even afford to lose one down the stretch, which I think their odds are pretty good to win out, um, and they would still go to Arlington. Did not have that on my bingo card to start the season. Um, Kansas State really missed an opportunity to put Texas on the ropes in terms of Arlington. And uh, Cincinnati and Baylor, I think, are pretty clearly the two worst teams in the conference. Um, to me, that seems a little bit indisputable at this point. And so I'm, I'm glad you're not – I consider Baylor sort of like a peer. They've certainly had more success than you over the last decade plus. But that's a program you should be on par with, striving to be better than. And uh, thank goodness you're not in the same spot as Baylor right now. Yeah, I mean, I would love to be two years out of a Big 12 championship, but uh, everybody wants to fire everybody. Uh, the coach is out there saying that the locker room is broken. Um, yeah, not a not a good look for Baylor after another loss, uh, this time to Houston in overtime. Um, Kansas State, I think, proved that they belonged with the top of the conference, but they're just a little short there. Uh, and then Oklahoma State absolutely proved they're with the top of the conference. Uh, I think it's Oklahoma and Texas. Oklahoma State and Texas, they're at the top two, uh, along with Kansas State and Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma oh. now has to win out and hope that Texas loses to get in. Anybody else like really needs some help. They need multiple slip-ups plus winning out. So I think it's probably down to those three teams for the, for the conference title because uh, like even if Texas drops a second game, in conference play, they would own a tiebreaker over Kansas State. Uh, they would own a tiebreaker over OU. So, I'm sorry, no, OU owns a the tiebreaker there. 
uh, but they would own it over Kansas State. But yeah, uh, those are the main thoughts. And then there's, I still think, a pretty good amount of parity in the middle. Um, I think the story of this season, if you don't scratch and claw your way to a bowl game, is going to be three really big missed opportunities. West Virginia with a backup quarterback, Wyoming, and BYU. Those are the three that, like I can, I can kind of just tip my hat to Oregon and Kansas State and probably looking ahead Texas and just say, okay, they're the better team. They deserve to win. Uh, but those other three I listed, you might only need one of them back at the end of the year, but I would love all three of them back. I, I think that not a not a dig at any of those programs or fan bases, but uh, would love to line it up again fully healthy. And All three of those were on the road. Still yeah. like your chances going on the road and winning a game against either of those teams again. Especially BYU, in my opinion. Uh, will this potential seven and five finish for Tech be seen or spun as a bigger accomplishment than seven and five last year? If you finish seven and five this season, which would be winning out, it would absolutely be a better finish and a better season than last year, in my opinion. Because I think you've had more. I mean, you'd still beat Texas, uh, and then you would have a six and three conference record, right? Yeah, you'd get both sides of the coin. Your losses would be way worse in terms of opponent caliber. Um, Like you didn't have a a black eye on your resume last year, like a loss to a group of five team or BYU is probably going to finish with two conference wins and you were one of them. But like assuming Texas doesn't slip up until then, you'd have a win over what could be a top five team at that point. Like you didn't have a win that good last year, uh, really even close to it. And yeah, like you said, six and three conference record would, for the second year in a row, give you your best record in Big 12 play since uh, 2009. So yeah, I think it's hard to sort of envision that, but I think if you did somehow get your record up to seven and five by the end of the regular season, um, there's certainly some positive ways you could spin that. Yeah, and to finish, to be good in December, November, um, it's something you've been chasing for years, a decade. You've been good in September. You've been good in October uh, in separate years, but you've never really been good in November since uh, Mike Leach left, and you really weren't good in September then or November. I'll get the months right. Just stay with me. Um, so McGuire being good in November and kind of winning out a couple of years straight would be awesome. I don't think that'll happen, um, but that would be awesome. It would, and I'm not greedy. I'll take two out of three. Yeah, two out of three ain't bad. Meatloaf. Uh, let's see. All right, let's go to the uh, the TCU game. Uh, trading punts to open the game, three and out, three and out, and then they had four plays and punted. That turned into a Texas Tech 14-play drive. Uh, And this was a beautiful drive that featured Taj Brooks, Taj Brooks, Cameron Valdez, Cameron Valdez, and Baron Morton's legs to finish. And that was a beautiful play call. Um, In my opinion, the speed option with the the razzle-dazzle to the left as well. Yeah, I thought so too. I... uh... When they when they first lined up, they brought in Henry Teeter and we're kind of going with that heavy personnel package. And I thought, okay, we're just going to try to 
shove it down their throat. You know, they haven't really stopped that yet. I guess we didn't like the look we called timeout right before we snapped it. And when we came out with Dre McRae, I was like, you know what? You know, probably good enough to pick up two yards here is just a speed sweep to McRae. And they sent him in motion. I was like, yeah, here we go. And, you know, I'm I'm obviously not the person they're trying to fool, but they did fool me. And then they go speed option um, against the grain of the motion. So, and, it, you know, Morton goes in basically untouched. And so it certainly worked on the TCU defense as well. Um, so that was good to see. Like, that was good, good use of a timeout, in my opinion. Good play design, good execution. And uh, I thought that was, like, one of our best drives of the season, really. Yeah, certainly the best drive of the day, in my opinion. Um, too bad your defense didn't shut uh, TCU down on the way back. Seven plays, 75 yards. And they didn't get to a third down until the touchdown. Uh, but it was a 17-yard pass to clean it up all the way down the field quickly for TCU. Uh, you would you would go back and get a field goal on 14 plays coming back the other way to make it 10 to 7 uh there in the first half. Yeah, they kind of uh got their tight end going on that drive. Good player and you kind of had difficulty covering him a lot of the night. Uh but yeah, you do respond with a field goal. Was that the that was the one we uh, the drive we ran the double reverse trick play? Is that right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think it was second and one. So I mean, I kind of like the call there to try to, you know, I'm sure they were looking for something downfield, and it it just wasn't there. They didn't have the time to to run it. But good response, I guess, to get a field goal and at least get back on top and. Uh, yeah, no complaints there really either. I mean, Taj was on his way to – I know we'll get to the rest of these drives. I think he had like 98 yards rushing in the first half and a really healthy number of carries. I thought we looked like more balanced and had TCU on their heels a little bit better than we've had most opponents. And uh, I think it was a pretty well-called game by Kitley, and I've certainly had my criticisms of him throughout the season. Uh, that second and one, I think, was actually on the next field goal where you, we had the big loss. Mm. But regardless, it was uh, it was there. I think that was at the closer to the end of the half. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, so you get the field goal 10 to 7. They miss a field goal, stays 10 to 7. You take a drive down and score a touchdown 17 to 7. Uh, this starts with an unsportsmanlike conduct by Cameron Valdez. Do you want to talk about that, or do you just want to brush past it? Because it it was kind of a cheap call to me. Um, yeah, I was. Well, first, I'll back up to their TCU's field goal. Um, a lot of our fans, even after a win, really like to gripe about coaching. Um, TCU. This was kind of funny to watch from the stands. Like they have ten guys out on their field goal unit. And, like, everybody has identified that they're missing a player and they're, like, trying to get him on the field. Yeah. Like, everybody's yelling at the same guy, like, hey, get your ass out there. The guy, like, doesn't figure it out in time, so they have to burn a timeout. Then they go miss the field goal anyway, and, like, the guy who's supposed to be out on the field is barking at one of his teammates and they're getting into it. I mean, that's terrible. Like, 
how do you not know that you're on the field goal unit? Like those are things that you would get chewed out for in JV football. And Tom Riddell um, and Sonny Dykes were pissed at each other the rest of the game. Yeah, and like deservedly so because TCU special teams units I thought really weren't that good. Their their punt return unit uh, kept fair catching balls inside the ten. Uh, Miles Price gashed him on a punt return. They uh, their kick return wasn't very effective, and their field goal unit was kind of a mess. So, um, but yeah, then you uh, get the ball back after the missed field goal. I was really frustrated with Valdez in the stadium at the time. I was like, cause I think he kind of gave him like one kick, like get off me and then like did it again. And the ref is standing right there. It was like, I'm sitting there 50 yards away and I know that he's about to get flagged for it. Yeah. Then on the replay, you see the number six for TCU is like holding onto his foot or his leg way after the play, like Valdez is laying on the ground and guys can get hurt that way. Um, it's kind of TCU's calling card last year uh, with opposing quarterbacks. Same player later in that drive, I think, hits Taj out of bounds. It wasn't called. That was also a pattern. The refing, the officiating was terrible. So I think that's just kind of the player that that guy is. And you want Valdez to keep his composure there for sure. But I mentioned this in the Discord. I was like, I kind of don't fault him. I'd be trying to forcefully remove that guy from me as well um, if I was in that scenario. So young player. You know, probably needs to keep his head a little bit better and not get the penalty. But I also thought it was Bush League from the TCU guy. And, you know, he's probably not going to get a unsportsmanlike for holding on like that. But um, I don't know. Maybe wish the refs would have just made that a no call or something. Like just kind of separate him and move on. It wasn't. Kind of warn him there. Yeah, it wasn't terribly egregious or anything. So, of course, it is generally the reactor that gets the penalty, not the actor. True. You saw that today in the Cowboys game. Uh, that turns into a third and 21 after a complete pl- pass to Miles Price. Taj Brooks would run for 20 yards. They would go tempo and get an illegal substitution after a no gain. Uh, hey, tempo works, Kyle. We've always said it. We'll always say it. Yeah, it's one of those, like, I'm debating did tempo work there or not because TCU stuffed the play, and, like, we've seen that. Like it, it seems like the faster they go to the line and snap it, the more likely the opposing team is to just stuff whatever comes next. I don't think we meant to catch him subbing with you know twelve guys on the field, but we did, and so we get the first down. And it was kind of like one of those. Obviously, you'll take it, but what are we doing? Like you're probably going to get the yard anyway if you just slow down a little bit and get into a good formation, good personnel group, whatever, and then run a play. So I guess all is well that ends well, but. <laughs> You know, I was in the stands. I was like, no, 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 slow down. Then I see the guy running off the field. I was like, snap it, snap it, snap it. So it's one of those no, 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 yes kind of deals. And, I, yeah, like I said, I guess all is well that ends well. It, it worked in the end. But I, I really hate that we've made such a habit of rushing to the line in scenarios like that. The rest of this drive goes Taj Brooks, Taj Brooks, Baron Morton, Baron Morton, Taj Brooks, Baron Morton. Two third and eight conversions from Baron Morton. Taj Brooks for 14. Taj Brooks and then Baron Morton to Miles Price for 25. Another just well-executed drive from Baron Morton and Taj Brooks to get to 17-7. to You'd also get a field goal in this half along with two more TCU punts to lead 20-7 to at halftime. Yeah, and a 55-yarder from Gino Garcia. Um... Felt like I kind of went out on a limb after Laramie 
when he was like two for five. And I was like, I think he can kick like some of those misses were like, I think he doinked one from really far out. He was rushed on one of them. Uh, one of them got blocked, I think. And I, I don't, has he missed since Wyoming? You know, I was looking at that. I don't, I don't think he has, but he hasn't kicked very many. Right. Yeah. We haven't kicked a lot, uh, but we sent him out for the 55 yarder and like, you knew it had the distance immediately from my vantage point and, uh, you know, it was pretty much right down the middle. So it's good to see him have his confidence back. And I, I feel like kicker is a position that is half mental, you know, just as much as it is mechanics and executing your footwork and everything. And after that first game, like, I mean, uh, you really couldn't blame the guy for being a head case, but he's been nails since then. Missed one against Oregon. And then two for two, two for two, one for one, two for two. This was his second and third kicks in Big 12 play since West Virginia, since the opener he kicked two. Okay. So he's one, two, three, four, five for five in Big 12 play. Gotcha. Yeah, not a lot of opportunities. And I don't remember the Oregon miss. I'm drawing a blank on that. but I think it was there in the first half. Anyways, inconsequential now. Um especially after the uh, pick six or fumble scoop and score, whatever it was at the end of that one. Yeah. Um, in terms of the first half, the last thing I'll say, I, I saw some people kind of – it it seemed like they thought we just sort of folded at the end of the first half and we were just going to take it into half. I don't think that was really the case. I think you were waiting to see how the first play went. And if you got eight or ten yards by running it, you would have used your timeout. Um or if you got a first down out of bounds, something like that, hurried back to the line and try to get into field goal range. But if you don't execute on the first play, um, you know, it doesn't make sense to hand the ball off for two yards or whatever we got and then burn your time out and then try to make something of that possession. Like you might as well just go into the half. So I think they were kind of basing their approach on that last possession before halftime on how the first play went and it didn't really go anywhere. So I don't have a problem with him sort of calling it quits at that juncture. And I think if Tosh would have run for eight or 10 yards, they would have used a timeout and hurried up and tried to get into field goal range. There's 30 seconds and you're on your own 30. Like I'm not faulting anybody for that. Yeah. Second half, uh, first half thoughts. I thought Kitley was pretty good. I thought Kitley was pretty good. I, I thought you mixed the run in the pass really well. You had some two back sets. Um, you had some, you had the option play, you had the motion. I thought that was a well-executed game plan in the first half. Yeah. You even had JJ Sparkman line up in the backfield at running back. Um, yeah, like I said, really healthy dose of Taj. I think they, they ran Valdez a little bit and then he kind of had to warm the bench after his penalty. But yeah, I can't, like I've, I pulled up box scores at halftime and been like, why does Tosh have three carries right now? And this was not one of those games. So, you know, four scoring drives, I think is pretty solid. Um, you know, you're going to get the ball coming out in the third quarter. So, yeah, I thought thought he called a good half. I really didn't have any complaints about it. Other than the swing pass on the first play of the game, if I was an offensive coordinator, any swing, like designed swing pass would not be in the playbook. You'd, You'd have that as like a check down route on pass plays down the field where if reads number one, two, and three aren't there, then you check it down to the running back. But I'll, that actually kind of 
triggered me. It was like, okay, we watched film on TCU for a week and a half. You have this game script, these play designs that you think are going to work based on how they line up, and you run a swing pass that they, you know, drop for like a three-yard loss or whatever. I, yeah. I hate that route. And you just got – that was – I mean, that was the worst drive of the game. You had one yard, three and out. Yeah. And it's like you used to say about Sir Roderick Thompson. If you want to get Sir Roderick Thompson the ball, just hand it to him. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you know, okay, we're going to throw a swing pass to Tosh Brooks with Miles Price as his lead blocker out there. It's like, just run him up the gut. Yeah. Like, we get five and a half yards every time we do that. What? I don't get it. It's just outthinking it to me. And, you know, thankfully that was – that was an anomaly in the first half against TCU and we – we didn't get overly cute um, after that, I didn't think. So, but yeah, first play of the game, I was, like, already rolling my eyes, like, okay, here we go again. But they got it fixed pretty quick, so I, I can't complain. All right. Second half. I've got some thoughts here. Uh, Six-play drive that ends in a punt uh, with a Jacoby Jackson false start on third and eight. Turn it into a third and 13. Yeah, incomplete pass there. That turns into a punt, okay? Brilliant McNamara punt to the seven. They have a 93-yard drive where they convert third and eight. Okay. All right, ESPN. I love that bit. Well, I can't pause it. This is just ridiculous. We're just going to have a state format right in the middle of it. Is there a better box where I can pull up that doesn't have ads? Uh, okay. A third and eight. A first and 20 turns into a third and 14. They get that one. And then there's another third and 14. They get that one. And then you have a 16-yard run. So third and eight, third and 14, third and 14, all on one drive that caps on a 16-yard run. And you just looked absolutely lost on this defensive series. Yeah, I don't think we – I think they dropped back. I think he had 52 pass attempts, but that means they probably dropped back about 55 times. We didn't record a sack, did we? I don't believe so, no. And they were really close a lot, but – They were close on one of those. I think it was a third and 14 where they – he gets out of the pressure and hits Jared Wiley up the sideline. But the last two plays of that drive were another one of their seam routes where they had Jacob Rodriguez isolated and – uh I guess he was supposed to wall off or cover a guy who was breaking inside. And they complete that down to the 16. Next play is their longest run of the game, the Amani Bailey touchdown run. Jacob Rodriguez was, again, isolated in run defense and kind of missed the tackle. So, yeah, it was just like a tough sequence. I felt like they had, I guess, probably gone into half and scripted something really good. And it it worked. And, uh, man, when you face 55 dropbacks and don't get a single sack, it makes me say, okay, rush three and just especially when they're abusing you down the field like that's how they got all their yards it was chunk play chunk play chunk play you know they weren't running the ball very effectively and so it's like I mean just feel like we're kind of putting ourselves in a bad spot here when you've got uh you know safeties even blitzing sometimes or like running up to cover a motion man and then we're leaving our linebackers without any safety help over the top it's like just drop eight and uh you know, that way you've got the flats covered. You've got the deep areas covered. If you're not ever going to get home and they give you 55 chances, just kind of give up on sacking the quarterback and go all in on coverage, in my opinion. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't like that either, but I understand where you're coming from. I would rather get the sack, but you just can't. You can't. Uh, all right, I need to talk about this offensive series coming up. <clears throat> so you give up a touchdown, a 93-yard back-breaking 10-play touchdown drive that took four minutes, okay? Then you go out, have a no-gain and incomplete third and 10, a false start that puts you at third and 15, and then you have Coy Aiken with a 14-yard completion. Get the first down, Coy. Then you get up to the line of scrimmage. You take a timeout. You go back out there. Baron Morton walks down to the, the line of scrimmage like in an H-back position in the most obvious way ever. Five TCU Horn Frogs are pointing at Taj Brooks. Baron Morton claps. There is there is no misdirection whatsoever. Everyone knows what's happening. There's no going on two. You don't try to draw him off sides. He claps. They snap the ball to Taj, and he gets stuffed. Then they score in five plays and take the lead. And in my head, I said, this game is over. That dumb analytical call with no basis on how the game is going at all, on your own 30, just lost the game. And I know you won, but that was the worst call of the year, and maybe of any game I've seen the worst call of the year, to go for it on your own 30. I mean, the analytical book cannot say to go go there. That just does not make sense to me. You punt in that situation. Oh, I, I 100% believe the book said go. We have one yard to gain. And a running back like Taj Brooks, I I don't know what the numbers are. You probably convert that 80% of the time. With the analytical comp- book have that play call? Well, yeah. No, I think that's the part where there's a much more legitimate gripe. And, like, can, uh, I've asked this a million times. Can we take a snap under center? Can we fall forward for a yard with a quarterback sneak? Seems like that has a pretty good success rate across the board at all levels of football. Especially when Teeter runs by and pushes your quarterback in. They've done that before. Yeah, and so backing up the third down play, this happened three or four times where we oh. keep running routes one yard short of the sticks. Get the and first down. Sometimes it cost us. Sometimes, like there was another one where Aiken, I think, was short when he caught it and then got the first down. But, yeah, that's something they've got to just, like, coach the guys up on being aware of. It's like, you know, on third and eight, be aware of the line to gain and figure it out. I think you you run that play to try to be deceptive, obviously. Like you said, when every TCU linebacker is pointing at Taj, uh, you're not deceiving them. And so, like, either call a timeout there or – Because you already did. And I know it's bang, bang, but um, if you want to go direct snap to Taj and you're going to not deceive them anyway, sub out Baron Morton for Henry Teeter and – go up the gut or uh, pick a different play. Like we are so due for motioning JJ Sparkman into that tight end or H back spot and then yeah. running like a play action leak concept. Yes. Like you, scored little... on that. you scored on that with Teeter like four times last year. Yeah. Uh, I think we used to do that with uh, Travis Koontz. I know that was a totally different offense with Sonny yes. Cumbie. It's like, Hey, uh, 
a two-yard arrow route to the flats on fourth and one, like if everybody in the stadium thinks it's going to Taj, like that should work. So how many times has JJ Spartman just run across the formation for no reason this year? <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh yeah. Like if you and I know what's coming every time that happens, obviously the defensive coordinators know as well. I couldn't get over all of the linebackers and defensive ends pointing at Taj Brooks, and they snapped it anyways. Yeah. And I went back and looked. The timeout was before the third and 15 call, so you could have called another timeout. But it would have been it would have been two on the same drive, and I, I don't know. Well, we challenged the spot on that, and that also kind of pissed me off because we, we won the, the challenge. They moved the ball forward a yard, but not enough for a first down, and so we lost our challenge being able to use it later in the game. It didn't really matter because there wasn't a – controversial call to challenge but it's kind of like an admission yeah we spotted the ball wrong but you lose the challenge it's like okay um so yeah i i don't have a gripe with going for it on fourth and one and people are like but you were in your own half of the field like yeah i know that i, I was watching the game and fourth and one i think i'm uh, one of the yeah and like you and i disagree on that i think the play call was bad i think that there's other stuff they could have drawn up or even like later in the game, they did a player miles price kind of motions back and forth across the formation. Same deal. He runs just a quick arrow route to the flats. Like you need one yard and you can probably get it just handing the ball to Taj without telegraphing by bringing everybody in tight that that's exactly what you're doing. Like you can go four wide on fourth and one and probably end it off to Taj against a six man box and get one yard. Yeah. So I, I didn't like the play call. Again. I'd rather go five wide and run a draw with Baron Morton. Yeah, I would hate that because you've got Tosh Brooks. Well, I would hate it too, but that's better than what they did. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It wasn't a good play call. Or at least we agree on that. But uh, I don't have a problem going for it. And uh, yeah, I'm sick of hearing about the analytics. I've tried my hardest to explain that or argue my side of that. And it, what I've learned is that you're just not going to convince some people. And so I'm going to save my breath on it unless you're like legitimately interested and want to have a reasonable conversation about it. Then you can like DM me or something. I don't, but like an angry fan on Facebook or something is just not going to listen to reason on that. And so I'm, I'm not going to bother with it. Neither will I from your own 34, Kyle. Sure. I don't agree. Uh, all right. The Josh Hoover. Wait, saved- wait, 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 wait. What? Would you go for it for your, from your own 42 on fourth and one? Yes. Uh, that would be a closer call. What about your own 40? As close to the 50 as possible, I'm, I'm thinking about going for it. Any, anywhere past the 50, I'm going for it on fourth and one. But I'm asking, like you're saying your own 34, like 34 is just never. But you're saying 42 or 40, you would think about it. Uh, No, not in that situation. Not after my defense just gave up a 93-yard drive and they scored a touchdown and I'm only up by six. Okay, so devil's advocate. Let's say you punt it. McNamara boots at 55 yards. You down them at the seven. Again, what confidence do you have that they're not going to go 93 yards again? Uh, the big the season this year, you've only given up eight points in Big 12 play in the second half. I trust my defense more than a Taj Brooks. And maybe it was just the play calls clouding me here. Like that play call was so bad that you didn't get it. And I know you you get it more often than not. And I get I get analytics. I get the fourth and one is a good is a good opportunity to get a call. Um, but man, I just, that didn't work. It didn't work, but I'm, I'm for going for it on that, in that scenario. Well, I should say this. I'm not, 
I'm not gung ho either way. Like you have to punt it or you have to go for it. I'm open minded to either, and I'm not like adamantly against punting in that scenario. I'm also not adamantly against going for it. Fair enough. Uh, so they score a touchdown in five plays. You punt it back to them. Uh, I'm absolutely in my feels. This is this is not going well. Um, Loic Fungi went out of bounds, or you probably go for it on fourth and four. Uh, you can't. You go for it. Uh, you punt on fourth and 16, 50-yard punt. And then Josh Hoover finally, after nearly throwing 17 uh, interceptions in the first three quarters, finally gets one to Rabbit. Um, just a, a terrible pass. No idea what he was doing. He threw it right to Rabbit twice. Uh, this is the first time. Seems like we've got two people in the YouTube comments asking, did the analytics consider that you have an NFL punter? Yes. Yeah. It's crazy to me, as many times as it has been explained, that people are like, but you were on your own side of the field, but you have a good punter. Like All of that is baked in, and the numbers still are what they are. You have a higher probability of winning the game, which you did end up winning, by the way. If you go for it in that scenario versus punting it, so yeah, you should you should see me. Uh, if we would have lost this game, you should have seen me. But yeah, uh, good to have a short field after finally getting a turnover. Felt like it was long overdue. And what I loved is that you didn't get cute. You handed the ball off to Tosh Brooks twice, and you're in the end zone. I'm like, that's pretty much all you need to do once you're inside the fifteen or twenty is lean on that. Um, so that was good to see you immediately take back the momentum with the turnover and the touchdown. You're back on top of the scoreboard. And then the analytics tell you to go for two. Yeah. And I didn't hear anybody bitching about the analytics when we converted this. But I'm sure they would have if we didn't. Because you converted it, yeah. And where is this uh, two-point play at any other point in the season when you needed one? Yeah, I would have loved that in Laramie for sure. Oh, man. All right. You know, I was happy with this game. I feel like I'm bitching a lot uh, down the stretch here, but I was happy with this game. All right, you force a punt on the next drive. Then you score in three plays, 92 yards, capped off by a 44-yard bomb to Dre McRae. Where has this been? Thank God you unleashed the beast at least once. Yes, I'm laughing at this because I – a really good friend of mine, very dear friend, maybe even my best friend in the entire world, was supposed to go to the game with me, and he had to bail because of work, which is understandable. And so on a whim, I asked my sister if she wanted to go with me. And she's like, yeah, sure. And, like, she likes football, you know, isn't isn't a diehard fan or anything like that. And way earlier in the game, maybe even, like, on our second possession, uh, it was second and one, and I was like – Here's a little bit about football. On second and one, you always take a shot down the field because if it's incomplete, who cares? And you can just run out on third and one to get the first touch. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that was when we threw the like kind of crossing route to Bradley, maybe 15 yards downfield, and it's kind of behind him, went off his hands. So we didn't get it, but then I think we got the first down on the next play, and I was like, see, that's why you throw it vertical on second and one. So when we get the ball back here and it's 28 to 21, I, was, I leaned over to my sister. I was like, I would love – to just eat six and a half minutes off off the clock right here, just slowly march down the field and bleed as much clock as possible. She's like, yeah, yeah. And then we get to second and one and uh, we bomb it to McCray. He catches it. And I turn, I was like, see, that's why you always take a deep shot on second one. She was like, but I thought you didn't want them to score very fast. I was like, 
Well, yeah, I didn't. But yeah. if we're, you know, if we're going to score. That's a touchdown. Yeah, I was like, you, you can't really complain. I would have loved if they took five more minutes on that drive. But if we get seven points, it's it's fine. Uh, but, yeah, like Dre McCray was supposed to be that guy all year that was finally going to be able to uh, line up and have somebody that can take the top off the defense. That was our longest air yards completion of the season. Yeah, we've had longer pass plays, but it, it involved more yaks. That's like the furthest we've completed a pass in terms of number of yards uh, the ball traveled in the air. And it wasn't – I mean, it was a long pass play. It wasn't like – I mean, you've seen more vertical passing in college for sure. But, uh, you know, that has just not been an element of your offense that is there very often this season. And um, it's good to see McCray in particular be the guy to, to make that play. Yeah, and I was getting texts during the game. Is is Baron Morton hurt still? He can only throw it 25 yards, and then he bombed that one 50 yards in the air. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I still think he's he's probably not 100%. Like, we, to me, his arm looked better last year when he was healthy. But he's all he's still making some impressive throws. Like he made one of those, I think, to Xavier White in the in the first quarter, like opposite sideline kind of throw, and then thought his touchdown passes to Miles Price and Dre McCray were pretty impressive. So yeah, that was that was a good um I love taking the shot on second and one there, even though I did want to bleed some clock. And the the first play of that drive, the sideline pass that we all love so much, finally you get some Really good yaks on that. And Joey McGuire even said in the postgame presser that uh, Morton checked into that play. I guess he had something else drawn up. And he saw something that, you know, he thought that they could stress the defense with that, and he was right. So that kind of got you out of the shadow of your own end zone pretty quickly there and then felt like you had a lot of momentum, and they just sort of went for the jugular. And, uh, qu- quick strike on that drive, which I would have loved to use some clock, but when you have second and one – and you've got momentum like that. You've got them on their heels. Might as well dial it up. And so good execution there on that drive for sure. And then it gave you some cushion the rest of the game that you wound up kind of needing. So you go up by 14. TCU responds with a 16-play, six-minute, 75-yard touchdown drive um, that had a major Everhart run and then a bunch of passes where you just cannot get to freaking Josh Hoover. Um, he looked like prime Seneca Wallace out there evading every single rush, uh, getting the ball all over the field, dinking and dunking all the way down the field uh, to a touchdown run from Trey Sanders. Uh, you would punt, and then Hoover would throw an interception right to Rabbit again, and that would ice the game. Didn't talk about the possum, but uh, iced at 35-28. You run out the clock. Game blouses. How mad would you have been on that last punt if we had gone for it? If we had gone for it? up It was, up it was fourth and five. Yeah. It was fourth and five from the from our own 46-yard line, I believe. I would have I would have been screaming. I would have been pissed. Joey said that they they were at their number and the book said they could have gone for it, but they decided with game flow and everything to punt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they don't need the score recited to them. It's in the book. So he doesn't have to do it. He can, he can go against the book. No, he, he can. Then why I didn't think, he go 34 up six with no momentum? Cause he doesn't have to go against it either. Oh my God. 
game flow my ass. But he doesn't need the score recited five, to him or, or the yard line. That's, seven, that that's all on the matrix that they're looking at. That's a bad matrix. That's a bad fourth and five. That's a bad matrix. You it won us like four games last year that we would have otherwise lost. It also lost you uh, a game last year and lost you the West Virginia game. Last year? It lost a game last year, yes. Which one? Um, let's see. It was around the Houston game. Uh, NC State, the pick six on a fourth and one where you could have just punted it. Uh, that completely derailed the momentum of that game. I'd have to go back and look, but uh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Oh, the Kansas State game. Yes, thank you. The Kansas State game, the, the fourth down, where you don't get that – you don't get the pass interference call, and then you go for it on fourth and six, and they go up two possessions instead of just one possession. You could have punted it and got the ball back. We lost the Kansas State game because they had about four carries of 60-plus yards against you, and you had two turnovers on their end of the field. wasn't and analytics. You- and you gifted them. You gifted them a a possess- Yes. No. Yeah. You still could have won that game. I mean, yeah, you could have, but like it also would have helped if you could tackle somebody. And oh, sure. If you, and if Taj yeah. Brooks doesn't fumble, and if Donovan Smith doesn't throw an interception on their side you of the win, field, you win this game by twenty-one if you could sack somebody. Sure. So, like, yeah, like that's that's perfectly reasonable. Like, you don't. We didn't lose to Wyoming because of analytics. We lost because we couldn't freaking score for forty-eight minutes of game clock. People see a 170 play football game like, oh, this one fourth down call is what ruins. Like, no, like you were outmatched for most of those plays. But anyway, so some of these are toss up calls where they say like, yeah, like your odds are equal whether you punt it or go for it. Well, he needs to get a new coin uh, and flip it better (laughs) in those situations. For the record, I'm glad we punted as well. I was surprised to hear that that was a toss up call. Me too. That, that would have been a real head scratcher. Yeah, my neck vein kind of hurts now. <laughs> I think it's so funny, though, after all these people are like, but the score was 21 to 20. We were on the 46-yard line. It's like, they 30- know all this. Yeah. They know all of this when they're making the play call. Like, it's all – I promise it's calculated, and nobody's and, like, and oh, yeah, Kyle, go for it. It's still bad, Kyle. Oh, I didn't realize that Austin McNamara was our punter. Like, you think they don't know that? All right, we better stop arguing. People are going to talk about how much we argue. That's all we ever do on this show. <laughs> oh, man. All right, that's the end of the TCU game. Any uh, any broad final thoughts uh, on the win? Um, I think you – I think that I hammered TCU for this last year. They lucked into Max Duggan, but they picked the wrong quarterback out of fall camp we picked the wrong quarterback out of fall camp. And I think three full games of Baron Morton against power five competition, the way he's taking care of the ball, the nature of this offense is not to go vertical. So the numbers aren't going to just wow you in terms of yards per attempt or yards per game, but like it's three wins against teams that aren't very good. Like I'll, I'll give Shuck the benefit of the doubt there. Oregon, Kansas state was a half Jake strong, half Baron Morton game. Like, if we have a healthy Baron Morton for 60 minutes against Wyoming, maybe Oregon, BYU, like, you're bowl eligible. You're not having this kind of disastrous season. 
that that's kind of my broad takeaway is like Morton can have a good game. We can win a game or two against bad opponents, but three full games now start to finish. I've seen enough. Like we, we flat out picked the wrong quarterback out of camp. Agreed. I, uh, I 100% agree. So you kick your ring light there, Kyle. I'll let you get that one back up. Oh man. Baron Morton. And, and, in that respect, the the Wyoming game, I think, is an easy call that Baron Morton wins that game. You don't go ice cold in the middle of it. Um, but I think you also could say Taj Brooks was underutilized in those first three games, especially against Wyoming and Oregon, which probably turns the tide as well. Uh, there has been a an uptick of Taj Brooks usage with Baron Morton. So maybe that's a little bit of it, but yeah. And I, I wanted to start Baron Morton or Donovan Smith two years ago. Um, I, I never wanted to play Tyler Shuck. I didn't want him on the roster. Um, he proved a lot to me at the end of last year and I was fine with him getting his start this year coming back, but man, it just feels like, it just feels like to me, Baron Morton should have played more last year. I know he got hurt to prepare for this year. And this just should have been the torch passing. And it just didn't happen that way and is what it is. But moving forward, I think this is Baron Morton's team and it absolutely should be. Agreed a hundred percent. Something I remember going back late in the summer before the season started, there's a clip from the Texas tech social team that, it's just an absolute dime from Morton to Xavier White in the uh, indoor practice facility. I mean, like, Xavier White is covered. The DB is there and just, like, puts it right on his shoulder. It was perfect. And I remember thinking, like, the two of them just look like they have good chemistry. And I was I was shocked after the game to read that Xavier White has more receiving yards than anybody on this team. Uh, he's just it, it kind of done that quietly. Like, I don't remember him being, other than the one big play against BYU, um, I mean, I would not have guessed that. I would have guessed Price. I would have guessed, I don't know, I guess like Bradley, even though he's kind of been disappointing. Probably would have taken me two or three guesses to get to Xavier White. And um, I think that that's not a coincidence either, that his production has kind of ticked up and he's been a little bit more noticeable now that Baron Morton has gotten more playing time. Um, Todd Brooks has he's among I don't know the top five or ten in the NCAA in carries this season. Do you know who has the second most carries on this team? Tyler Shuck. Yeah. And he hasn't played in four and a half games. Yeah. I mean like that's what what's I, you know, somebody asked about Bryson Donald earlier. I, I, he's not redshirting because he redshirted last year. He's just not playing. Yeah, and, and this is – I wish I had had that tidbit about Tyler Shuck being your guy who's had has the second most carries earlier because people have tried to respond to this, like, you don't run the ball enough narrative by just pointing at Taj. They go, no, look, look how many carries he has. He has more carries than almost anybody in the Big 12, anybody in the country. It's like, okay, but there's no next level to that. Like, we don't give Valdez any carries. We're sure as hell not going to run it with Morton while he's got a sprained shoulder. Um. Like, we don't have a second back. And, yeah, a lot of our running production is because Taj is really great at breaking tackles and everything. 
But, like, he can't run it 45 times a game. But as a team, we probably need to run it 45 times a game. So if Taj can only give you 30, somebody else needs to give you 15 or a collection of guys needs to give you 15. And so, like, that's where I my gripe a little bit with people that are like, well, look at all the carries Taj Brooks had. I mean, Zach Kitley said that. Tech Hoops guys said that. The BYU Sports Nation guys said that on the pregame show. They're like, yeah, you know, it's weird to hear Tech say they need to run it more when Taj Brooks has all these carries. I'm like, yeah, but there's no yeah. 1B after that. And the fact that our – Team carries. Yeah, the fact that our quarterback who – part of the reason why we lost in Wyoming is we didn't run the quarterback until the very end when we had to. So, like, 90% of game one, Palaszczuk doesn't run it. Uh, he doesn't play in the second half against Tarleton State. And he doesn't play the final three quarters against West Virginia. He's he's run the ball in like one and a half total games this year. And he's our second leading ball carrier. And like, is Bryson Donnell just not ready? I don't know. It doesn't appear that way to me. Cameron Valdez is, you know, probably not an every down back yet. Might not have the frame for it, but he's a great change of pace guy. Like he could have, if he had 10 carries a game, he'd have 20 more carries. 30 yep. more carries than Tyler Shook at this point. But I mean, broke open the Houston game. Yeah. And so I, I think that's like the next step if we're going to remain committed to the run. Do I love seeing Taj get 30 or 35? Yeah, absolutely. And sure, his efficiency goes down a little bit, but he still had, but I think it was like 31 for 146, you know, just a hair under five yards per carry against TCU. Um, still without like any sort of home run type play that inflates that at all. Like he's just steady and consistent. But that's the next level to this. Like the next step is when Taj goes – like if Taj goes three drives and then on drive number four we need to give him a spell, can we still run the ball without him? And right now that appears like a no, or at least we're not willing to try. So I was blown away at that. And like honestly, Valdez is not that close to catching Shuck. I think he needs like 12 or 14 more carries. And his carries per game, like he'll probably catch him by the end of the year, but it won't be by much. And so like it's going to be – I don't know, almost Thanksgiving maybe by the time Valdez supplants Tyler Shuck as our second leading ball carrier. And that's that's crazy to me. It's wild. Yeah, that's wild to think about. Uh, all right, you want to talk about the scheduling matrix and how it was almost correct? Yeah, but let's talk about our friends over at Rahino Barbecue first. Let's do it. Because I think the schedule matrix was a miss – Rahino Barbecue never misses. Give them a follow on social at Rahino BBQ. Order head online, RahinoBBQ.com. Rob, my family might be going non-traditional Thanksgiving this year. I think you can buy a whole turkey from Rahino Barbecue. I don't know if those like, I don't know if they like can ship them frozen. You might have to be in West Texas to go grab one yourself, but it looks scrumptious. So maybe give them a look if you're if you're thinking Thanksgiving and you don't have a turkey yet. RahinoBBQ.com, order ahead. The lines do get long, whether you're out in Knowlton or finding the food truck all across West Texas. Rob, I had a moment of heartbreak. I was, I went to Cardinals after the game on a Friday on my way out of town. And it was about 11 a.m. when I was leaving Cardinals. I was like, you know what? I wonder if the Rahino food truck is coming to the parking lot. I was like, they'd probably be here already by now if they were. And as I'm pulling out of the parking lot, this black food truck turned, I was like, wait a second. It was a different food truck. But, ah. uh, sometimes they're out at Cardinals, and uh, you can get two gauchos sponsors at once. But anyway, uh, give them a follow on social at Rahino BBQ to know where their mobile food truck is going. The barbecue is outstanding, and we appreciate their support of the podcast. Beautiful thoughts. 
Good sentiments. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks. Hey, can you explain this uh, in-season tournament to me? No. Why is it so close to the start of the season? I don't know. It's hardly in-season. It's like a preseason tournament. The NBA doesn't make sense to me. Uh, we need balance the rest of the year. Baron needs to get to 100% to give us a chance at a bowl. Yes, I agree. And I don't know how you do that uh, playing games, but if you can keep him clean like you did against TCU, it uh, certainly goes further in that direction. Uh, I think you can beat Kansas. I think you should beat UCF. Uh, and I anything can happen You know, in Austin. You've beaten them twice there in the last 10 years, so. Two out of two out of five. Two out of five ain't bad, huh? Uh, they ran Morton quarterback draw. I don't remember the draw. I do remember uh, the speed option. Is that what you're talking about? Did they run a straight draw? Oh, Alan Bowman ran a draw, scored a touchdown. Didn't get touched though. He did. That was beautiful. Can we talk about Alan Bowman a little bit? It's kind of weird seeing him in an Oklahoma State jersey and Matt Wells in his OU garb after the game. It's like it's just sort of a weird did you shot. See, did you see Kent Hans did the tweet? Yeah, he's trolling he's trolling everybody back at this point, right? Yeah, he has to. Because Ryan Mandel had like that exact same. Oh, he nailed it. You nailed his uh World Series one, and then Mainville nailed the Bowman one. I think you're a better Kent Hans than Kent Hans is. You you do his tweet better than he does. But you know what's funny about that? He he is very self-aware. And I can't remember if I've ever said this on the podcast, but a long time ago when I was a student at Tech, um, I worked for the orientation department during the summer, you know, bringing freshmen in, giving them campus tours, getting them signed up for classes, all that. And we would separate them at the beginning of orientation. So you have like 500 students in one room in the sub. And then right across the hallway, there's 800 parents, friends, family of the students in the big theater in the in the student union building and Kent Hans would go address the students and he would give them the you know Wes Welker's led the NFL in catches the last five years Dallas Braden through the 19th perfect game Angela Brawley Scott Pelley you know gives that speech moves right across the hall gives the same exact speech to the parents and it was my job to like introduce and like read his bio and say you know here's Chancellor Kent Hans and he joked with me the very first day of the summer. He goes, you know, by the end of this summer, you can give you could give this speech for me if I get sick or something. And I like laughed, but I I could I, I probably couldn't now, but that summer I I could have nailed it. Um, so yeah, he's he's self aware and that like he knows there's a routine and it's predictable. And I guess he's just leaning into it now and having fun with it like everybody else is. So good. I I audibly laughed at the Alan Bowman one because I thought <laughs> I saw Mainville. <laughs> And then I saw Ken Hansis this afternoon and I, I audibly laughed. It, it was, it was good. <laughs> well, it kind of is like a genuine sentiment when he does it like a little bit more seriously, like, cause he's trying to say, if you want to be a world-class baseball player, you can develop a Texas tech. And like, he does it in his own kind of corny way and stuff, but yeah, the like <laughs> when Oklahoma state needs a quarterback, they, they take like a Texas tech reject who got benched out of the transfer portal. It's like, that's a stretch, but he, I guess he's there now. He's even tweeting those kinds of things out there. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, let's see. What were we going to talk about? Oh, the scheduling matrix. Uh, oh, no. One more thing about Alan Bowman. Everybody keeps trying to tell me how good he is. And, I, hey, you know as well as everyone else that listens to this podcast, 
knows that I think Alan Bowman is a fine quarterback. He's good even. I thought he was good at Texas Tech. Um, he is not great. He is not the reason they're winning. That defense is really good. Uh, if you want to talk about Texas Tech players who are affecting that team, talk about Xavier Benson, who had three tackles for loss, a sack, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. That guy is affecting the game. Alan Bowman is throwing it to Brennan Presley two yards down the field, and he's getting 17 yards a yak. And he's shovel passing to wide open wide receivers, this little flailing shot put down the field. It's amazing. I mean, they're just wide open all over the field. Um, it would, it, you know, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State hasn't had a great quarterback ever since. I mean, Brandon Whedon ran the hell out of that offense, but he wasn't good. Mason Rudolph, you're telling me he's good? He ran the hell out of that offense. It's an easy offense, and I know it's not the exact same, but it's it's the Gundy offense, and he's doing exactly, Casey Dunn is doing exactly what Gundy wants him to do. But, man, Alan Bowman can run it, <laughs> and he's running it well. I mean, it, it helps to have Ollie Gordon, who's now the leading rusher in the conference and the world. Yeah, Ollie Gordon's really freaking good. You're just going to keep your peace on Alan Bowman? Yeah, I mean, I think – I mean, you gloss right over Spencer Sanders. I guess we don't consider him a, a great quarterback. Oh, he sucked. He's, I don't know if he sucked. He's third, he's third string at his new place. Well, yeah, because he picked like a terrible transfer destination. So? He, he, he can't start uh, at Ole Miss? I mean, he would, he would start at Oklahoma State if he was still there. Maybe. Is the reason he left? He could start for a lot of Big 12 schools this year. A lot? Yeah. Doing a lot of interviews. Anyway, uh, the Big 12 schedule matrix. We, uh, we acknowledge that three rivalries exist, but no more than that. Four. Is it four? Yeah, it's half the Big 12 got rivalries. So it's the rivalry? TCU-BYU, the Holy War, and one more. Territorial Cup? Sunflower State. Okay. Yeah. So it's like they acknowledge that rivalries matter and certain schools have played each other for a long time and are in each other's neighborhood and it makes sense. But then – but not all schools – and like, okay, is West Virginia Cincinnati a rivalry that has as much history as Kansas Kansas State? No, of course not. But is there more juice there than like West Virginia versus Arizona State? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Like there are people who grow up in Cincinnati and then they go to school at West Virginia. That's like a, a Texas kid going to Arkansas or Oklahoma State for college. I mean, um, like is the saddle game. Is Tech versus TCU either school's primary rivalry? No. But, like, does it mean more than either of those schools playing West Virginia? Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I can think of is that they – somebody pointed out that 
every team plays in the state of Texas at least once per year. That's the only thing I could think of was that that was such a sticking point for the schools that want to recruit in Texas that aren't actually here that they were willing to say, I, I guess, I don't know if this was like a democratic process where everybody had to vote on this. If your mark just said, this is what we're doing. But yeah, like, so basically, so the, the three teams that I wanted to either be in a pod with or have protected rivalries with TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma state. Um, I don't think I need to explain that. Those are Southwest conference, big 12 South teams that you have a lot in common with. You're in the same kind of backyard as them, same footprint. And we get them three out of four years, but not every year. And basically what the Big 12 decided from Texas Tech's vantage point is that you won't get to play those schools four times in four years, but we made the schedule such a way that you'll get to play West Virginia a third time instead of just two in four years. And somebody else, maybe Houston, which I don't really – maybe it was Arizona State. And so I I look at that, I'm like, you know, I don't – it doesn't – matter that much to me to get to play Arizona State and West Virginia a third time in a four-year stretch as it does to get to play Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor every year. And the the Big 12 teams could have been grouped into fours so easily, whether you had protected rivalries, pods, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a miss. And like, if you had a pod of the schools out West, like, yeah, it's is Arizona State BYU a rivalry? No. But if they play every year, that makes more sense than having BYU and Cincinnati play three times in a four year stretch at the expense of a fourth Arizona State BYU game. Like for all the worries about travel and tradition and losing rivalries and these conferences don't make any geographic sense anymore, they kind of said, yeah, we don't really care either. Like we're not going to try to maintain any level of that. And we're just going to go with this pretty much random assortment where we kind of acknowledge that some of these secondary rivalries exist, but not really. And yeah, like is is Tech Oklahoma State on the level of Bedlam or UT versus Tech? No, but like you get there by playing every year. You don't get there by playing, you know, three times in four years or something. So I, I was disappointed with it all. It just makes no sense to me that four rivalries will play all four years when you could easily have all 16 teams play one game every year on the same week and have it rivalry week and just build it. So what if you have to shove Iowa State and Colorado together on that weekend and call it a rivalry? So what if you have to shove UCF and – Houston together. That's an AAC rivalry. And the big eight, Colorado and Iowa State were together and played a bunch of times. Like that makes sense to me. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Cincinnati. If you have one protected rivalry, that's fine, but make it to where everyone does, not just half the conference. That's that's what's broken to me. Yeah. And really the only one that would have been a stretch was Houston versus UCF. I think those would have been teams 15 and 16 that didn't have a more natural protected rivalry. But like you said, just fake it till you make it. Like play yes. it up as as the space race and, you know, okay, these are the two biggest, you know, cities in the Big 12. I don't know if that's true, but like those are big metro colleges rather than kind of like the heartland uh, yeah. profile of most of the rest of the conference. The commuter cup. <laughs> 
And so, like, I saw somebody say they're like, well, like, the pods wouldn't have made sense for Houston. Okay, like, are the other 15 teams supposed to bend the knee to Houston? Like, you have a system that's 95% good for everybody else. Like, sorry, Houston, but, like, you've been in the American with Cincinnati and UCF. Like, I know you probably would rather play the Texas schools, but you would still get to play two of them every year, basically. Houston, the Big 12 doesn't make sense for Houston. I don't know why they're here. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. So who cares if they're happy? Yeah, what are they going to do, leave? Yeah, okay, bye. Bye, we'll go get you know, UConn or somebody. Um, yeah, so yeah, either do no protected rivalries, and then you could probably make it where everybody plays everybody three out of four years, or protect the rivalries, even if they're not quite as storied as Kansas-Kansas State or the Holy War, like – Tech and Oklahoma State should play each other every year. Tech and TCU should play each other every year. Uh, Farmageddon is the longest continuous running rivalry in FBS, and it's it's going to be no more in 2027. They're going to take a break for no reason, really. So, it, and, and there's a year that Texas Tech doesn't play Baylor and TCU both, neither of them. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. I feel like I was kind of dismissive of this – well, traveling halfway across the country is bad for mental health. I was like, okay, give me a break. You know, like y'all are on chartered planes. You can make this work. And then they're like, oh, we have schools that are a 45-minute plane ride from each other. No, we'll we'll sub that so that Tech and West Virginia can play a third time in four years. Why? And I'm not – I don't have, like, beef with playing West Virginia. I think that's even kind of like a fun, uh, like, mini rivalry. Like, I don't have any animosity toward them, but there's stuff there. So I don't get it. Um, yeah, I've been very happy with you, Mark. If you ran your monthly job approval, like I, I would still approve. But this is the first one where I'm like, I think we just kind of outsmarted ourselves here. And like you said, it could have been one protected rivalry per team, and it still would have made sense. I wouldn't have liked that as much as my full-on pods yep. system. Agreed. Uh, but, yeah, like – I don't know. It's weird to be in a conference with schools that are in Florida, Utah, and West Virginia as is. But when you don't play two of the other three teams in the state of Texas one year to go play teams from that state, then it's like especially weird. So yeah, I think that I think that twenty five schedule is just dog water for Texas Tech. I mean, it's bad. I wonder if they, like I said, I don't know if this is a Democratic. I wonder if they got. I'm assuming that people like Kirby Hocutt have similar gripes as you and I. I wonder if they sold them by saying, you know what, we'll send Coach Prime to Lubbock year one while he's still at Colorado to smooth this over a little bit. That's like the one kind of saving grace from not getting the pods or the protected rivalries is if you didn't get to play Colorado until 2026, it'd be like kind of uncertain if Prime is still there. And then having him come here rather than just being another team to go to Boulder, I think is kind of cool. So it wasn't all bad, I guess. All right, want to do a mailbag? Uh, yeah, one more thing on the schedule. Okay. And we threw this out there when uh, the Iron Skillet game was off the books. If they're not going to let you play in Fort Worth and Waco every year, um, I'm not counting playing Tarleton or Abilene Christian. You need to. You still need to play in the state of Texas. Yeah. Schedule SMU. They're going to a new conference. I'm sure they're going to have to rework some non-con stuff. 
They have to go east and west coast all the time to play games now. TCU won't play them. Make schedule them for the next like I don't know eight years, like four and four home and home. Yeah. Um, it gives you a power five game in the non-con. It's an easy trip for the team. It's no trip at all for half your alumni base. It's already in DFW. Uh, I would love to put that on the books, especially in a year like 2025 when you're not going to play either TCU or Baylor. I know you still get your six or seven home games. Yeah, would you rather play ACU or SMU? SMU. Yeah, even if it was even if it's a road game instead of a home game. Like I know it's still SMU, but it is technically a power five game now. Like you're not going to get AM and UT to play you. Uh, right. The conference took away TCU and Baylor. Like, you want to play some Texas teams, right? FBS schedules. I want to look at this uh, 2025 schedule. I mean, it's just – it's so – and I don't want to go back to, like, the full-on Southwest Conference where you only play in the state of Texas. But to go from that in the mid-'90s to, like – yeah, you're in the same conference as Houston, Baylor, and TCU, but you're not going to play them. Instead, you're going to play Utah, Cincinnati, and UCF is weird to me. 2025, you ready for the non-con? Yeah. Arkansas Pine Bluff at Colorado State hosting Oregon State. I'm fine with all of that. I'm fine with all of that except Arkansas Pine Bluff. There's no reason to play that game. And, like, fans say that all the time. Like, West Virginia says that about Marshall. Like, well, there's no reason for us to play that game. But that's that's like an in-state FBS on FBS game. Like, I know they don't want to acknowledge it as a rivalry. There is no point playing Arkansas Pine Bluff. No fans want to watch that. It doesn't prepare you for the Big 12. Oregon State is technically not going to be Power 5 at that juncture. Tell Pine Bluff, hey, here's a $50,000 check. Sorry, we're not going to play you anymore. And call SMU. Amen. Even if you play them in Dallas, it's like a satellite home game. It, like, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know what I would want to schedule, Go. What's that? A fishing trip to legendary Baffin Bay. Uh, you can wade out there into the Baffin Bay, into the bay, uh, catch you a lot of different kinds of fish, trouts among them. With Rackham Outdoors. Rackham Outdoors, uh, actually, on Twitter right now, if you follow Captain Preston Long and uh, do a little retweet, repost, he's offering a discount for Red Raiders uh, if you get into that pool. So go find Captain Preston Long there on Twitter, or you can find him on Instagram, Rackham Outdoors. Find him online, Rackham Outdoors. If you sign up, to go fish with Captain Preston Long, Wade Fishing, and Legendary Baffin Bay. Tell him you're a Red Raider, and he'll work with you. He wants to uh, get more exposure here in West Texas. And I know it's all West Texas, but if you're going to the Gulf of Texas, look up Captain Preston Long and the Legendary Baffin Bay Recom Outdoors Wade Fishing Program. Ready for a Matador Transit mailbag? Let's do it. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? 
You don't have a Tic Tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? Did we answer the Jeter Seeger question on the last mailbag? No. If you could sign Seeger or Jeter in their primes to your baseball team, who would you sign? This is not a terribly original take. I've seen this out there, and I think it's even backed up by all the baseball analytics nerds. Jeter was overrated. Yes. Give me Corey Seager. Give me Corey Seager. Somebody answered here, said captain, but I would take uh, Corey Seager. Uh, the Dave Campbell's Texas football podcast said 8-10 to 10 or 9-9 nine nine is a reasonable preseason prediction. Thoughts on the projection? I'm guessing this is Texas Tech Big 12 basketball. Oh, yeah. I would be ecstatic at 9-9. Nine and nine. Uh, Yeah, if you gave me 9-9 nine and nine or rolled the dice, I'm probably taking 9-9, nine and nine, and I'm usually a dice roller in hypotheticals like that. I mean, that's, uh, that's a tournament team. 8-10 eight, eight and 10 is probably a tournament team. Yeah, depending on what you do in the non-con, I think 8 and 10 would be pretty safe unless you just don't beat any of these Power 6-type schools in the non-con. But yeah, 9 and 9, I'm sure it's been a while since the team that was 500 in the Big 12 didn't go dancing. I think that Trey Young team got in at like 7 and 11 in conference play. So did the Sweet 16 Iowa State team. Yeah. So. Uh. This is a long question, but I got hammered for not reading all the questions, so I'm going to read this one. Uh, with this season being a letdown, do we prefer a head coaching start like Joey's, parentheses, best season since 2008 and possibly worst season in 40-something years back-to-back, or a start like Burnt Vegetables, letdown first season, despite the loss to Kansas, beat their biggest rival and still very much in the Big 12 title race year two? Would you rather have a Joey McGuire start or a Burnt Vegetables start? I kind of reject the premise of the question because Brent Venables has not had a season yet that met or exceeded expectations. Joey has. And so it's not really a matter of in which order do you want it. Do you want to come out of the gates hot and then cool off a little bit or underwhelm and then meet expectations? Venables hasn't done either especially if they are on the outside looking in in terms of playing for a Big 12 championship this year. I, I kind of like – I mean, I can say this, I think, even in the midst of a disappointing season. McGuire earned so much credibility right out of the gates that it helps him, I think, weather the storm during a season like this. Um, I think it, it helped you with putting together a really good recruiting class this year. And so – I think even with all the disappointment of the season, I would not change the order of things. Um, but that that's just my opinion. I, I can see the other side of it, though. Uh, let's see. Power rank the away game road trips over the next four years. This is a daunting task. Give me your top four destinations in the Big 12. I don't want to I don't want to go through all 15 road trips. Uh, do they have to be new road trips like I've never been there before? No, this is just rank the away game road trips over the next four years, and you have 15 of them. Okay. Um, I'll go with – You put in that BYU trip. Oh, sorry. You froze. Oh, my bad. In my back? 
No, yeah. I thought you were making a thing. So I started talking. <laughs> Am I still frozen? You just came back. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. BYU was pretty cool. Um, I, I've actually never been to Stillwater. I would probably put that at the top, especially as long as they're still winning. Um, I'm sure that would be a fun atmosphere. Um, let me think here. I, I want to go see Jack Trice. And then in terms of newcomers, I like the city of Tucson. But I'll, I'd probably say BYU, um, based on the experience I had there and just the college football environment and atmosphere, is another one people should go check out, and I would like to go back. So Oklahoma State, I would say BYU is probably my answer. Okay. Still want to get to BYU. Uh, I might say Morgantown. Yeah, that's a good one. In there. I'm down with Stillwater, too. I think that would be a good trip. Uh, how quickly did you give into the Sports Illustrated infomercial for Rangers Championship swag? Uh, I went directly to Fanatics. I didn't need to see the infomercial. Bought a shirt and a hat. I remember seeing those all the time as a kid and just going, "Oh, I can't wait till one of my team, one of my teams wins the World Series, the Super Bowl, and still waiting. So maybe someday. It'll happen, man." Uh, let's see. Why does Austin smell like devil's lettuce everywhere? It's anyone's guess. Will the talent that Joey is recruiting overcome this horrible coaching? Yeah, I don't think we have horrible coaching. I, was that was that asked during the game? That was on the second at eight twenty-two p.m. Yes, that might have been at the fourth down call. Who asked that? Call him out. That's uh, our friend Puckin. Puckin. Yeah, I don't believe that we have horrible coaching. I I have my gripes about certain calls, but I I don't think we have. Again, look across the sideline at that game. They wasted three first-half timeouts on just absolute nonsense. You outcoached their coaches. Yes. But I don't think we've ever been impressed with uh, Sonny Dykes as a head coach. He's 54 and 61 in his career against FBS competition when Garrett Riley is not his offensive coordinator. That's the new Tyler Shuck is 7 and 0 in games he's started and finished. Or that's the new uh, Dave Aranda's underwater as a Big 12 head coach with the Big 12 championship. He's like way underwater now. Way underwater. He, he's lost eight straight FBS games in Waco. Yeah. Uh, is Koy Aiken this team's best receiver currently? I would put him, I would put him, Miles Price, and Xavier White in tier one. And as I was thinking through that, I don't know if there's a tier two. I there's there's a tier two because other receivers exist, but I understand what you're saying. Yes, I agree. Like it probably would have been Mason Tharp, but he hasn't played in several games, he was having a good year at tight end. Uh, we don't target Nehemiah Martinez. I think Lord Fungi has like four catches. J.J. Sparkman has one. Um, so, yeah, the, I think those are your three guys. Well, I, I, th- uh, I take that back. Dre McCray would be tier two. Yeah. 
and Baylor Cup. He's had, he had some catches. Has he called one since the Baylor game? Raider Cup? Maybe not. I don't know. But you get my point. It's it's kind of light. Can we get rid of the tire? Sure. Yeah. I thought the tire was just a one-week thing. That, that was an Iowa State thing last year, and then they never got rid of it. Yeah, bring back the pump jack. If, if there's going to be something yeah. permanent on the sideline, bring back the pump jack. Agreed. What's your favorite slash best cover song? Oh, man. Obadiah Heya. Obadiah Parker? Obadiah Johnson? What's his name? He does a rendition of Heya. That's pretty good. Best cover. There's a Ben Folds cover that I can't say on the podcast that's really good. I know which one you're talking about. The NWA cover? Yeah, that slapped back in 2009. So good. My buddy who played guitar, uh, that's like the only song he knew how to play. So he would sing it at every party. <laughs> Straight out of Compton. Oh. I could probably ruffle some feathers by saying Fast Car by Luke Combs. You would ruffle a little bit of feathers, yeah? Um. Panic at the Disco has a good cover of Bohemian Rhapsody. Don't you like uh, somebody's cover of Africa better than Toto's? No, I like Weezer's cover of Africa better than Reliant K's. Okay, that's what it is. And Clint Scott, I think, hates me for that. Because I I confessed that to him the day we first met. Yeah. And I think that was just, we got off on the wrong foot in a way that can never be recovered from in his eyes. We had to listen to all three covers, or all three renditions of africa on a road. yeah we were driving back from houston so we had time to kill and i think we even pulsed the people on that and they agreed with me that of the three reliant case was the worst rendition um i don't know best cover i used to have a playlist of cover songs but I don't uh, – I don't know. I don't have them anymore. Johnny Cash, Hurt, Nine Inch Nails cover. Did you hear that AI of Johnny Cash singing Taylor Swift? Yes, it was awesome. That, Blank that space. was a banger. Yeah. yeah. It's way better than Taylor Swift. <laughs> I mean, yeah, low bar there. But, um, man, I had one. And now I forgot it. Did you listen to the uh, pop punk, pop goes punk albums? I like. I don't know if I listened to like full albums, but I remember that. I liked a lot of those, and then the Picking On series. Uh, they do bluegrass covers of different bands. I like a lot of those as well. Uh, do you know the uh, Hugo cover of Ninety Nine Problems? Oh, that's a good one. There's a there's a bluegrass cover of gin and juice that's really good i'm intrigued yeah i'll have to send you that one. Oh, have you seen the coffee shop guy sing uh 619 mm -mm. uh the was it the yin yang twins 619 damn she's fine socket 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 to me one more time that one <laughs> yeah 
He's in a coffee shop acoustic singing that song. It's it's pretty good. This isn't quite what the question was asking, but I love a all electric guitar national anthem. Oh yeah. If you've got somebody who can just really shred, that is like the best version of the national anthem hands Ozzy, down. Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist slays the national anthem. <laughs> One of the funniest back when Deadspin was actually cool. Yeah. They had this guy just, he's really talented, but it's like this crappy video quality. He's doing like a JV basketball game, National Anthem. Yeah. And the guy's like so into it. He's, he's shredding. Like it, it's really good. And there's like six people in the stands. I mean, it, it was a piece of art that didn't get nearly the recognition that it should have. I might be able to dig that up. Uh, I guess All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix is actually a cover of Bob Dylan, since Bob Dylan wrote that. That's a good song. Trying to find this cover of the Yin Yang Twins. I'll have to find it. I'm going to send that to you. Okay. I guess I had to go back to the mailbag now. Uh, Let's see. Does the men's basketball team drop a banner? Sorry, I can't read. Uh, Does men's basketball score 100 on one of these poor non-con teams this season? I think they might if they play at a pace similar to the scrimmage. I think that would that would take the other team also playing at that pace. Like you might beat a non-con team 100 to 85. But I don't think you're going to score. I don't think it'll be 100 to 50. Gin and juice by the gourds. I think that's I think that's uh, the one actually. That I was thinking of. Uh, time change, start bench cut. Would you rather keep it how it is, go permanent summertime or permanent standard time? Are you a daylight saving times guy? I I would rather not change it every year. Yeah, I just want to keep stay one. Yeah, I think it. I think right now it's about to get dark too early. So I guess I would have liked to have just stayed what we were on. But I also don't like when the sun doesn't go down till 9 p.m. So I don't know if I would – I don't know which one I prefer, but I want it to stay the same. Most probable coach in the Big 12 to take a Power 4 job next year? I think one of the Sunflower State coaches taking the Michigan State job. Okay. This, this offseason? I think so. I think that's exactly the kind of job that they would leave for, that they would also be, you know, a top three kind of candidate for. Yeah. Gundy and the Texas coaches aren't going anywhere. Neil Brown's not going anywhere. Malzahn's not going anywhere. I could I could maybe see Jed Fish. The way he's recruiting, if they finish the season really strong, I think like he built that from nothing. Yeah. Um he that would be a little bit out of the box, but he was like a New England Patriots guy. So if Somebody in like the Big Ten footprint out east wanted him. Um, I don't know what kind of jobs might be open, but I could I could maybe see Jed Fish. Um, it won't be Whittingham or Satake. It won't be Dillingham. So, yeah, I think those are my top three. Leipold, Kleiman, and Fish are the most likely. Do you remember the long question I basically said I didn't want to ask, but I was going to read anyways from earlier in the show? No. 
he says this question changed fairly quickly. Quickly, feel free not to answer. So I could have not asked that one. Oh, the the Venables question. Yeah, the Venables question. Yeah. Uh, who has a better record through sixty nine games at Texas A and M? Kurt, uh, Kevin Sumlin, or Jimbo Fisher? It's got to be Sumlin. It's Sumlin by three games. And Jimbo's only good year was the COVID BS year. Yep, they went like nine and one or something. But I, I don't, I don't count COVID. COVID didn't happen. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> COVID was real. Yeah. You heard it here first. I mean, if we had like won the Big Twelve in the COVID year, absolutely would have counted. Yeah. But when one of our rivals goes nine and one in COVID, it does not count. No. Mickey Mouse football season. Mickey Mouse. Just like Baylor's national championship in basketball, played in front of an arena with zero people doesn't count. Mickey Mouse. Does not count. Suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me one more time. To the window, to the wow. All right, that's all I got. Tilda, no, 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 no. Yeah. Did you think I was going to say it? I, I wouldn't have cared if you did. It's a song. Family you show. Lyrics. Family show. Um, Final thoughts? Yeah, a couple more. Uh, first off, ran into a young man named Cade going to the game. He's a listener of ours. So uh, shout out, Cade. Nice to meet you. Always fun to meet listeners, followers, whoever at the games or out and about. The game day experience, they added a wrinkle to this, and I was skeptical because the Honorable Curtis Parrish, somewhere in the first half he was like, you know, everybody make sure to stick around for a very special swag surf right before the fourth quarter. And I did what you did. I made that face. I go, what's a very special swag surf? Like, what on earth are we about to? But in between the third and the fourth quarter, these lights, these drones fly over the stadium and they just start hovering in the south end zone. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like little red dots just hovering there. And then they form a double T and a Raider red and a state of Texas. And it, it had people fired up, and they were doing this during the swag surf. And so shout out to the, the game day ops folks. That was a really cool addition, I thought. And then my final, final thought is RIP Bob Knight, the Indiana coaching legend turned Texas Tech head coach. I remember going to a Texas Tech versus Texas game must have been 04, 05-ish. Uh, Ronald Ross was the dude at that time. And um, Texas Tech fans that I knew were pumped to have Bob Knight, you know, talking about five Final Fours. And I was I was too young to appreciate that we had, at the time, the guy that was considered probably top three in his profession. Like, it'd be if – it would be like if – I don't know, Urban Meyer or Nick Saban or Dabo Swinney came to Tech in a decade from now and like made this their last stop. And uh, when I was a kid, I, I just couldn't fully appreciate that. But, you know, I've seen some of the video clips and everything of like him getting to 900 career wins at the USA. And, um, you know, I think he 
he brought a, a certain level of respect and dignity to the basketball program that, you know, if you know your tech basketball history, going back to like James Dickey and some of those teams in the nineties, you know, th this program had some good seasons before Chris Beard got here and certainly a final four run and everything overshadows that. But um, he was here during a fun time. You know, you had Mike Leach and Bob Knight both here at once and it's pretty cool. You know, I wish I, I could have maybe experienced it a little bit more um, when I was older, maybe even a student at tech. Um, but yeah, rest in peace, coach Knight. Thank you for the memories. And, you know, Rob, you, you grew up here, so I don't know if you have any memories from the night era, but he, I think he passed away in between our last episode and this one. I just want to make sure we mention that. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't go to a lot of basketball games. We went to a lot of football games and baseball games, but I didn't grow up going to basketball games. So a lot of what I remember from uh, Bob Knight is those tournament runs, watching on TV, following the program, watching when I could, um, obviously working in media post Bob Knight, but with a lot of guys who worked with Bob Knight, a lot of fun to hear a lot of those behind the scenes stories about uh, not only the, the Leach era, but the Bob Knight era. Um, would have been a would have been a magical time to be a part of that world. Yeah, I remember when we interviewed David Collier this summer for our uh, Patreon channel. He shared this funny story that I think epitomizes Bob Knight. You know, they would they would do a weekly coaches show, and so there was kind of two games to recap every week because basketball plays twice a week. And the first game of the week, they beat Kansas which Kansas is Kansas. So that, you know, I made, I don't know what they were ranked, but I'm sure top five or top 10. And then they lost to whoever the second game was. I don't know if it was Oklahoma state or A&M or whoever. And so Collier in the weekly coaches segment, he was trying to ask about, you know, this historic win over Kansas and what it's like to be the top 10 team. And, and I was just like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter because we played like crap against Oklahoma state. And well, you know, we didn't follow it up with a win and you know, I'd rather talk about all the things we need to fix. So I couldn't get, Coach Knight to really play up this huge win for the program. Fast forward another week, uh, they beat Texas, who was also good at the time. I don't know if this was – I feel like this was two, the 2004 season when, like, Oklahoma State was a Final Four team. Uh, Texas probably still had, like, T.J. Ford and some of those guys. Another ranked team, yeah. Yeah, so, like, they beat Texas, and then uh, they lose to somebody else. And so Collier's thinking to himself, like, well, he's not going to want to talk about the Texas win. He's only going to want to talk about everything they need to fix and what went wrong in the second game. So his line of questioning was like, you know, hey, you know, you lost to Iowa State or whoever it was. And, you know, what, what needs to get better? And then after the interview, Coach Knight's like, so you're not going to ask me a single question about beating Texas last week? And, of course, Collier's like throwing up his hands like, yeah, when you beat Kansas, you don't want to talk about it. You beat Texas. And I don't want to talk about it. And then you do want to talk about it. So, um you know, he certainly had a reputation for sparring with the media. I'm sure, um, depending on your vantage point, you might think he was too tough sometimes. But, uh, you know, you also see some questions asked by the media. Going back to Corey Seager, this is kind of off topic, but that guy was like, hey, how did the Dodgers or, or why did the Dodgers let you go? It's like, what kind of question is that in this moment? Yeah. And uh, Knight was not afraid to um, – he wasn't going to pull any punches if he thought that, you know, a media member was disrespectful or something. So, yeah. and he, uh, he liked Lubbock, you know, he, 
he retired and just decided to stay in Lubbock. You know, he, he enjoyed it. Didn't want to move back to Indiana or anywhere else. He just said, yeah, I'll make my home here. So pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. A hundred minutes of us. Hundred minutes of us. Uh, check us out on Patreon. Added a couple features there this week. Did our first couple of film breakdowns. If you're into that kind of thing, just um, I remember being at the game, trying to make sense of why in the world is the seam route and the hash marks open on every single play, and then you slow it down, watch it back a few times, you kind of kind of make sense of it. Uh, so we've got that up there now. Patreon.com/slash Gambling It's five bucks a month. Critics are raving. Uh, that's all I got, man. I guess we'll preview Kansas on Wednesday. Tech opens as a three-point underdog in Lawrence. And it's a huge game in terms of bowl prospects. Huge. That's all I got. Love y'all.